Everything that you do in that training session has to transfer to the game. It has to. If you're doing something for the sake of doing something without it transferring into the game, you're wasting time and it could be done at a much higher, better level. So when we talk about rondos, that is the most important thing that we have to consider when we're talking about it. Can the rondo that I am doing, can it transfer into the game? And if it can't, then I have to make that rondo better. Prepare for a soccer coaching revolution. Come with me on a journey to discover the latest methods, techniques, and tactics that will transform you into a more effective coach, player, or soccer parent. Whether you're a seasoned coach or a beginner, growth never stops. I'm Sagev Rabinovich, and this is Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Well, it was pretty clear what everyone was talking about after this weekend, and it was the Chelsea City game. Now, to me, what was really interesting was the way that Chelsea didn't really back down. And I think a lot of teams, when they play against these possession juggernauts and teams that are supposed to be, you know, these world-class and you know, the best teams in the world, they're very happy sitting back and just kind of watching. And to me, that's not really exciting. And what I loved about that game, and especially Chelsea, was it just looked like they had a point to prove. And I think that goes down to really two players who were really at the center of all of this, and that was Raheem Sterling and Palmer. Okay, both of those are former Manchester City players. And look, I've never been in a professional, uh, uh, you know, locker room with, you know, in the middle of the game or before a game like that. But I've been in huddles before games where I've used to play for that team. And when you have a friend who also used to play for that team, it just you give the team a different type of energy, you know, and, and you want to perform. And I think the rest of the team, they really fed off that energy throughout that whole game of these two guys who really came out there and proved a point. And that was, in my opinion, the most interesting part of this game. Now, there were penalties both ways. There was, you know, there was a little bit of you know possession i didn't think doku had a really good first half can't really talk about the second half um because i only watched that first half but it just really looked like they were up for it and that's to me one of the most important elements when you go into a game you have to have that it's not just confidence it's the ability to go in and really want to show want to show who you are and that i think was what really made the difference this past weekend we had four games i thought we had three but we had four games this past weekend um unfortunately there was something wrong with the vo with my subscription that i had to uh get fixed so yesterday during the zoom meeting we watched the city chelsea game right so we watched that over and I was able to watch that first half. 
which made it a lot of fun. And as a result, we couldn't really watch the games this past weekend. So to talk about it, I got to talk about it from the point of view of being at the game, coaching with that different type of environment where it's very hectic, uh, you know, competition based and, you know, just really being in a different type of environment, right? Coaching in that game environment versus sitting on my computer and watching the game afterwards, that kind of gives me a fresh perspective. So I didn't really have that. So it's tough to talk about the games uh, and analyze them in an appropriate way. But uh, our 2014s, we started with that new formation. That didn't work. We went back to the old formation. And then I thought we played a lot better. Our 2013s, uh, who personally I thought struggled the most in the summer they're actually performing the best so far this winter they're very consistent and all their games have been really really good um now this weekend we tied i think or we might have lost 2-1 i'm not sure there were so many games and they're all jumbled up um but it was a really really good game it was really exciting i played against a coach that i knew um and just a really great 2013 game and then Right after that, back-to-back was our 2012s. And the 2012s, again, same thing. Played really well. Completely different than our first game that we played with that team. Played at a very high level. We just kind of changed the tactics a little bit um, and really changed what we wanted out of the game. And I think after that 2014 performance, it really, really helped. Now, the older team, 2010 team, they're the ones that are still struggling, and that makes sense. It's pretty much a brand new team with uh, new players coming from a lot of different places, some that we've developed, some that have just come from you know, other clubs. So uh, that team is still struggling. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a really interesting weekend. Now, while we didn't really win any games, our 2012s tied, our 2014s lost, and our 2010s lost, I look at weekends like that and the weekend before as positives because if those things don't happen, it's very hard for me to just go and change things. And it's really hard for me to just kind of say, okay, we got to do something different if something is working. So it makes it a lot easier for me to go, okay, I can continue to do research and and really find different things. And, And that's really the focus that we did that I had since those games. And What I focused on was what I want to focus on today, which is rondos. Now, the rondos that we've been doing are usually 4v2s, and we don't do any circle rondos. We don't do any of that. Uh, For those that have been listening to me for a while, you kind of know how I feel about those. And I just kind of decided that I was going to take a different approach and just kind of scrap everything and restart. And I do this a lot with everything, whether it's my 1v1s, whether it's shooting, whether it's 2v2s, rondos. Like I always have a point throughout the year where I go, okay, I need to go back to the basics. And I've got different videos that I have of people who I respect that are really, really good at this stuff. So I went back, watched a video. Uh, It was a video, it was made like 10 years ago. Um, something just that I have. I don't know how I found it originally, but it was uh, a, one of the conventions. It was uh, the United Soccer Convention. And again, it was like nine, 10 years ago. Um, but it was a really, really good session of rondos that was one of the original things that I watched. 
But again, I haven't looked over it in, in about 10 years. So I've come a long way since then. And whenever I go back and do these things, I go back with the idea that I'm going to scrap everything. I'm going to start from scratch. And the difference from 10 years ago to now is my current knowledge base. So I can look at these videos in a different way than I did 10 years ago and rebuild the way that I'm doing a specific session. And in this case, the focus today is simply just rondos. That's what we're going to focus on today. And the 4v2s that we do, and that's really all we do now for rondos, we do also uh, more tactical rondos as well. But the biggest issue that I find with the rondos is twofold, that, the way that we do that. One is we're missing a lot of scanning. And that was something that I really wanted to get out of this. How do I get my players to scan more? That's one. Number two, I wanted it to be more tactical. And what do I mean by tactical? The way that we do sometimes our 5v2s, for example, is we'll have, uh, we'll have a 2-3 formation and then we'll have two players trying to get the ball. And that's very tactical. You can say that, right? But the understanding of things like switching the ball from side to side, when to do what, those are the ideas that I think we're missing. The decision-making part of the rondos are things that are just not consistent. Don't get me wrong, right? There are players within our academy that make decisions that I still wouldn't make on the field that are so unbelievable that I sometimes have to go, wow, you know? But I want that to be the standard. I want every decision to be the right decision. And I don't want to make it for the player. So uh, right now, I'm going through the Barcelona course, and I'll give my opinions about that after uh, when I'm done, which will be in a couple of months. Um, but one of the things that I'm doing is in that course, they talk a lot about environment. And one of the lines that I, I had was shape the player to what you want using the environment, right? So if I want my players to make the right decisions, the environment has to be an environment that consistently asks the players the questions that I want answered. And in this case, it's decision-making. So let's first kind of get that introduction into rondos, and then, which I've done in the past too. But anyway, for me, a rondo is kind of it, it's simply a, a situation where we have an advantage and that advantage is uh, according to Barcelona there's different types of um, advantages right but the one that I want to focus on is numerical advantage superiority sorry so Barcelona if we want to use the technical terms it's superiority so um there are four different types of superiorities. One of them is numerical, and that's really the one that we focus on within our rondos. Now, there's other ones. There's tactical superiority. Um, I think there's psychosocial superiority, and there's another one, too, uh, in that. But regardless, let's focus on the, um, the numerical one. Now, what we've done is this 4v2 where we ask our players to support we ask them to give advice. Um, we ask them to use the furthest foot from the defender. 
and we ask that and we ask them to lose their defender, right? So those are the four concepts that we use within our rondos. And it's great, don't get me wrong. But what we're not doing enough of is things like switching the ball. We're not doing a lot of kind of this one touch, two touch in situations where we should. So these are all different types of conditions that I want to create within the Rondo. Now, this video that I saw had some really, really great ideas. And one of them, which I've never really thought of in a positive way because I didn't understand it, was that when a player passes the ball, their chest goes down to the ground. So they kind of do a push-up after uh, they pass the ball. Now, I'm not going to call it a push-up because I don't want my nine-year-olds doing push-ups. I don't think they should know how to do a push-up at that age. I mean, you could, but that's not my job as a soccer coach. I'm not going to do push-ups with them. So for me, what I want is their chest to hit the ground. And yeah, you could talk about the physical point. You know, it's good, you know, from, you know, a, a physical development point of view. But what's great is if we have this kind of diamond formation, right? And let's say I'm the winger and I have the ball and I pass it. Let's just do, sorry, let's restart that. Let's do Northeast, Southwest players. Okay. So the West player has the ball. All right. In this diamond shape, they pass the ball to the South player. Okay. In that situation, the South player has two options. They could pass back to the West player or they can pass to the East player with the idea that the player in the middle takes away the passing lane to go north because we don't want to, we want to take away the passing lane to go forward, right? So that's the idea there. But now what happens if that West player, when they pass the ball, has to get their chest to the ground is that when the ball goes to the South player, they can't go back. So they have to switch that ball. So it creates a situation where the player, before they receive it, they have to scan to the other side to see if that player is open, right? They have to see where that defender comes in. And what in my head, at least, it's going to create is a lot more switching the ball. Because my thing is that if a player isn't scanning, that's why things aren't going right. All of my players, I know for a fact, can make good decisions. I know that for a fact. But the reason they don't is because they can't see the whole picture, right? If I said, if I gave an example, right, and I asked you to look at a painting, right? And in that painting, there was three dogs. And if we divide the painting into three parts... In each part, maybe a left part, a middle part, and a right part, there was a dog. If I covered one of the parts, to you, there would only be two dogs in the painting. And you might, you know, you might be able to describe that really well, you know, every single detail. But if you can't see that third dog, you're not going to be able to describe the whole painting. And it's the same thing in soccer, right? If the players aren't scanning the whole field... They might be making really good decisions with the picture that they see. But if they are not seeing the whole picture, then they can't make the best decision for the whole field. And they make great decisions with what they can see, 
but we want to expand that so that they can see the whole field. So that's one of the things that we're going to start introducing within our rondos. Now, one of the other things that we did actually in the warm up for the 2014s, and I participated in it. So um, I kind of wanted to see how it was. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. We did it for about 20 minutes and it didn't really feel like work. It didn't feel boring at all. Uh, there were some elements that I noticed my players were lacking, like communication, that this really promotes. But what we did was we had four squares, okay, and we played 3v1. Now, the rule was that every th after three passes that you made inside the square, you would make a pass into a new square, and the whole three players had to move into that new square. So what does that do? Right. First of all, it makes it more game-like. Why? Because we want our team to move up the field together. I don't want, and I saw this in our 2014 game, players are defenders who didn't really play defense before. They were staying back too much. Right. So we want to understand that we're moving as a team. So for me, this is something that we've really never done with our rondos, and that's moving rondos. So with those two elements alone, right, promoting switching the ball, promoting the ability to move as a team up and down the field, that's fantastic already. But we're going to add more stuff to it. There is a pattern where now I want to get my players to think a lot more. So we could do something very simple of one touch mandatory, two touch mandatory, right? And that is, I think, a good introduction into really getting players moving, you know, thinking a little bit off the ball, but I'm not happy with an introduction. I want this to be at a very high level. So what we want to do is create a pattern. So maybe one, two, one. So what's a one, two, one? Well, it's one touch, two touch, one touch, two touch. So it has to alternate every single time. So this adds a completely different element where the players have to think a lot more. And this is fantastic, right? Not only do they have to think about what is going on, right? Because now their scanning ability has to be at a very high level because here's what they're scanning for at this point. One, they're scanning for the player on the other side, right? Because one player's chest down, right? And with this, I would probably do a 4v1, not a 3v1. We didn't do the chest down. Um, that's not something I like to do on turf. Uh, there's a lot of research out there that is not conclusive. I want to be super clear, but it's still research um, on the effects on uh, the rubber um, being inhaled. So I don't really want my players getting their chest down close to that rubber, um, in turf. So we play in a gym floor, so that's not really a concern for us. Anyway, uh, so let's say we're doing this 4v1, okay? And uh, the player passes me the ball. Now that player, their chest is on the ground, they're out of the picture, right? So I got to scan for my teammate. Now, if that's the third pass, not only do I have to scan for my teammate, but I got to scan for a different square that's open because don't forget, there are other rondos that are going on, right? So everyone's moving into different squares. So the picture is constantly changing. And that's what I think makes soccer so much more difficult than 
you know, anything else is because the picture is constantly changing, right? If you look at a game like football, right, uh, when someone gets tackled, that's the end of the picture, right? The picture is then analyzed again when the players are on the line of scrimmage, right? And then the picture changes, obviously, when the ball comes out. But it's not consistent all the time. There are breaks. There are no breaks in soccer. The picture continuously changes throughout the whole game. Right. So we have player down, right? Have to scan for my teammate who is on the weak side. Have to find a place down the field that's open, space. Okay. On top of that, I gotta also think about okay, what how many touches did they take? Right. So it's constantly scanning even before the player gets it, right? Because I gotta see that player's first touch. So I have to see that player's first touch. I got to scan for my weak side. I got to scan for the open space. And then I got to scan back to see that player and that ball coming to me. So, so many different things within scanning alone. So that's one point there. And we can add to that and make this, I would say, at the highest possible level. And that's we can have one player who has the ball with their feet and one player who has the ball with their hand. And the player with their hand, they're going to be tossing the ball, okay, to uh, all the other players, right? So we have two balls going in the in the square or the, yeah, in the square. One player is passing, one player is throwing the ball. And now, not only am I scanning for weak side, not only am I scanning for open space, not only am I scanning for the player uh, who has just uh, hit the ground, right? Even though I shouldn't really be scanning for that player, to be honest, because I know that's what's going to happen. So in fact, not only am I scanning for him, but I'm scanning for our fourth player, right? To see if he has a passing lane. Now I have to scan for the ball in the air, right? Is there a ball coming at my face? Is there a ball coming at my chest? Is there a ball coming out, uh, you know, to my thigh, right? Like, is it coming outside? So I have to move to catch it. And we can make a rule where a player cannot have the ball in their hands and in their feet at the same time. Now, I would say that a 4v1 with all those rules is probably at the highest possible level. To be able to do all those things, chest to the ground, one-to-one type of uh, pattern, uh, moving Rondo, okay, one ball in the air, that is probably, I would say, almost professional type of scanning at that point. So do I think that that's something you can start with with the 2014s? No, that no chance, right? But what we can do is we can make that square easier so that we can do those things and we can build up to it. So a 4v1, even if we wanted to take that, how do we make it easier so the players can be in that situation and be successful? Well, one, we can make the player in the middle hop on one foot, right? That slows them down, right? So we're slowing the pressure while keeping the intensity of, uh, of ball possession, right? The other thing we can do is we can add attackers, right? We can do a 5v1. We can do uh, a 6v1 right? And when we do these numbers, we can 
instead of just kind of having them in a circle, which I can now understand a little bit more why that's fine. Uh, again, I don't love the circle idea. I'd rather put players in um, in their formation and have this, right? So if we go a 2-3, right? And then we have, instead of squares, we have rectangles where players are moving and they can move up into thirds, right? So we have a giant rectangle split into threes, smaller rectangle. It kind of makes it even more like the game because we're moving up as a team. We have to after three passes and we're in our formation already. So it's all great, you know, theoretically, Right. And we got them to such a high level, but it's great that we have a goal. Right. And we know where we're going, but we got to figure out the route that we're going to take to get there. Right. So we can't just first session start piling on these different constraints in the game. We, we can't do that. That's not going to work. Um, so we got to build to it. So how do we do that? Well, Here's how I'm going to do that. I'm not saying this is the best way to do it, but this is how I'm going to do that. So we're going to divide the field into nine rectangles or squares. How do we do that? We make thirds. So final third, middle third, first third. And then within each third, we're going to divide that specific third into a third so you've got nine rectangles and instead of playing the long way we're going to play kind of the short way so we're playing from sideline to sideline but that's going to be my field um, eventually so at the start we're practicing on a gym floor so it's a very small area we're still gonna and we're actually going to work within one half right so uh, it's going to be a very small area so we're going to go three v one in each rectangle and from there what we're going to look at is the first part which is after three passes can we get to another square so i want the players moving i want them to start the session with the understanding of scanning looking to move and moving as a group that's going to be really the focus right we want everyone to move we want everyone to scan and communication in that 3v1 that's going to be the environment that promotes that. My coaching points for that 3v1 are really going to be focused on passing and receiving, but mostly passing because we're going to be doing a lot more one-touch, two-touch. So what I'm looking for in this situation is really the contact with the ball, and I'm going to focus on everything that has to do with the contact with the ball. For example, hitting the middle of the ball, which part of the foot, what to do uh, with your belly button, right, facing which way the belly button faces, right, because, um, you know, that's another way of kind of saying hips, right? So that's what we're really going to focus on with 3v1 with the goal that by the end of this 3v1, everyone gets at least a thousand touches on that ball, meaningful touches. What does meaningful mean for me? Meaningful for me means that there's pressure. It's not overwhelming. We can see success and that the players are actually able to, with one touch, get the ball to where they want to go. And if they can get the ball to where they want to go, then that to me is success. And we're looking for seven out of 10. So of the 10 passes they make, seven of them are successful. Three of them are not. Okay. So that's really what we're looking at from uh, that point of view. From there, 
we can start to give more players. So we want to have more players now in each square so that we can start to introduce these other parts of the game. From there now, we can use the thirds and have each group in a different third. Again, we're playing sideline to sideline, right? So here what we're going to have is a 5v2 in a very small square. And now we want to introduce all these other concepts, but we're going to take it slowly. So first we got to think about numbers, right? So if we're going 3v1, okay, the question is how do we go from a 3v1 to a 5v2? Well, there's four players there and then there's seven. So we want to create eight players because we want to bring in two of those rondos together. We'll have one of those players go out and do a different activity. So that's something that I'll talk about, I think, in a different podcast. But essentially, one player goes away, and then when they're done that specific activity and they're there with another coach, then they come back in and they have to take a spot of someone else. So that also gives another element of scanning rotation that we're going to add. But for us now, what we're doing is, remember, we're in a specific third of the field and we're moving essentially from the left side to the right side, okay? And what this does now is we're going to be in a very small space, so quick ball movement. There isn't really a lot of opportunities for 1v1 moves, deceptive dribbling. It's all going to be one touch, two touch. So we're going to leave them in that environment for a little bit, that 5v2, where they're playing two back and then three uh, players with two in the wide space, one in kind of that middle area roaming around. Now we want to give these players a lot more freedom to move around. And we're going to do that because it's going to create kind of like a total football type of atmosphere where players are going to be taking other players' positions and that type of thing. So I'm okay with that. And then the first thing that we're going to introduce is we want to start again, go from simple to hard. So let's start with that one touch, okay? From there, then we go into one, two pattern, right? So one touch, two touch, one touch, two touch, one touch, two touch. And then we're gonna stop that because the players at that point should be doing decent. And then we're gonna reset again with that chest game, okay? So when a player passes the ball, they have to hit the floor chest, Okay. And the reason that we're starting with that one, two, one is because I want them to get into the habit of this one touch, two touch in this environment. Now, when we watched the Manchester City game, what we really spoke about was the understanding of one touch, two touch, and when we dribble. So we dribble in space. If we don't have space, we shouldn't really be doing these 1v1s. So because the space is so small, again, creating that specific environment that we're working on, that's the environment that they're going to be one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Then we're going to add the chest. And now the chest, when I do that, I'm going to take away that one, two. So I'm going to say, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about it anymore. I'm just going to say, okay, uh, be, after you pass, you must get your chest to the ground. Then I'll stop to talk about why that's important, right? So the ability that now we can't go there, so we have to look to switch. And then we're going to continue that uh, for a while. Um, and throughout this whole time, players are moving up and down the field, right? So from the first third to the second third, sorry, middle third to the final third, right? So there's that continuous movement. 
chest to the ground. We're forced to switch play. And the player that I really, the two players that I want to focus on are obviously the player receiving, but I want that center midfielder to play an important role. They really have to realize that they have to find those passing lanes and it's them and the wingers that are the ones that are really going to get us into that next square. Okay. From there, we can now start to make it a little bit tougher. So now we can talk about uh, adding a one touch, right? So it's just one touch, right? So just one touch, but on top of that, now chest to the ground. And the focus here is scanning, right? Because if you don't know where you're going, your first touch is not going to be great, right? So we're really forcing that. Then we're going to allow two touches, okay? We're going to allow two touches. And then eventually, once we get that 70% success rate, then we're going to add the ball in the hand, right? So one player is going to be, sorry, one ball is going to be tossed in the air. One ball is going to be taught is going to be passed on the ground, right? And with the rule that again, uh, the player cannot have a ball in their hand and in their feet at the same time, right? And with all these different stimuli, okay, which is another term they used in Barcelona, but uh, you know, most people know what that is, a stimuli, right? With so many things going on, these players are going to be engaged throughout the whole session, okay? Most importantly, they're going to be engaged cognitively, right? And that's what we want because we want to create smart soccer players, okay, with good decision-making. So that's really how we're going to do that. And we might play around with the movement, right? We might just say, okay, you can only move up and down the field in different thirds. We might say you can now move to different fields, right? So it doesn't just have to be going up and down, you know, the left third uh, or the middle third or the right third. You can kind of go around anywhere, okay? So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing. Now, it really depends on two things, the level of your players. It depends on the space that you have. If you have a lot of space, this is going to be a lot easier, right? But again, we're using a gym, so this is going to be very difficult. So we have to manage that with what we're doing as well. So we'll probably use a little bit more than half of the gym to do this. The gym is decent size, and I think our players should be okay in a 5v2 in that environment. Um, but again, you know, as coaches, it's your job throughout this session to make sure that the environment shapes the player, right? And if it's not, then you got to look at tweaking the environment. And that might be uh, making the rondos bigger. It might be making the rondos smaller. It might be uh, adding defenders, taking away defenders. Maybe the 5v2 isn't working, so we go 5v1, right? So maybe that 5v1 isn't working. So we talk about hopping on one foot, right? So it's really up to you as a coach to see the success rate. Is it 70% pass? Or if it's less than 70, let's get it up to 70. Well, this weekend, we have three games, our U9s, U11s, and our U13s. So that's 2015s, 2013s, and 2011s that are playing. Uh, and the U9s, the 2015s, they're really a new team and they're struggling. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to see how they do this weekend. We have some really great players, but we also have some players that are pretty new. So uh, it's a constant challenge trying to play that right way with this team. Our 2013s have consistently been performing. So uh, we're playing a really good team this weekend. But to be fair, we've been playing some pretty good teams in the past as well. This past weekend was a really big challenge for us. So we'll see how they do this weekend against this team. 
Uh, but hopefully they continue to be consistent throughout the whole season. That's really what we're looking at. Our U13s, that's our 2011s. They're also kind of in this limbo where we're bringing in a lot of new players, trying to find the best positions for them. But the big struggle with the U11s and the U9s is goalkeeping. Our U11s have a goalkeeper who's a U10. Sorry, our U13s have a goalkeeper that's uh, a year younger and our U9s don't have a goalkeeper. If we look at the teams that are doing really well, um, our U10s, our U11s, and our U12s, those are teams that have a really good goalkeeper. And what I mean by that is a goalkeeper that can play with their feet and that can make saves and can make good decisions on the ball. Those are really the things that we look for uh, within our goalkeeper. Because our goalkeeper is such an important part of how we play, it's really, really important in our teams and the teams that don't have a goalkeeper at that level those are the ones that we see struggle so uh, we'll see what happens this weekend um i'm really excited again to kind of see that u9 because there's a lot of potential there and a lot of really really talented players it's hard for them to kind of come together as a team right now which makes sense at under nine these are players a lot of them from the time there were six seven They've been just doing 1v1. So to get a little bit more team mentality, that's really going to be that focus. And I think with these types of sessions, it's really going to help them. Now, these U9s, uh, they've been dribbling through teams, right? They dribble through three players, four players, but there are seven players that they're playing against. So they end up losing the ball, and, uh, and that's just not how gladiators play, right? So we're just going to continue uh, and really try and get that team type of uh, atmosphere within them still going with our 1v1s 2v2s within our sessions but putting a larger focus on the rondos that we didn't have before right usually we would come in 20 minutes of rondos now it's going to be a lot more uh, especially the way that we're going to do it this way and i think it's really going to help but we'll see and i will let you know uh next week when i come back if you're enjoying the show so far, we're on episode five, which is really exciting. You know, uh, I got a new mic and uh, it's exciting kind of being able to do this whole new uh, show, which, you know, I start off talking a little bit about the EPL when I can as well. Um, just some things that I wasn't able to do before. So uh, it's really great. I'm really excited for the future and I would love your help. You know, uh, we grew uh, together um, with Coaching Soccer Weekly, and I would love it if you could just share it with a coach, uh, give a positive review, something that will just really help the show move forward. And if you can do that, I would be so grateful. Um, yeah, we have our Facebook group, Coaching Soccer Weekly still. Uh, eventually, I'll change the name there too, but uh, right now, we're still going to keep everything else the same. So if you're looking just to support the show, just tell someone else. That, that to me, is the biggest help for me right now. So thank you so much for your support. And until next week, enjoy the journey, enjoy the moments, but most importantly, enjoy the game.